0: Hello everyone, welcome back to the Officially Denied Podcast, I'm Peter. And I'm Toby. Alright Toby, so let's let's just get straight into it. We're obviously talking about Brexit. Hell yes, my favourite, my favourite subject. Well, we'll, I feel like we'll be debating Brexit by the time we're like old, uh, given the way it's currently going. Um, Safe to say David Cameron's um, gamble to shut down debate about... Brexit once and for all without referendum did not end very well but uh the latest well, it didn't news end. yeah well <laughs> anyway the latest news um is that Theresa May has her deal she she's got her deal she got it through her cabinet except the ones that resigned and then tried to launch a leadership challenge which failed spectacularly but anyway she got it through her cabinet or most of them Um, And today it was signed off at an emergency summit by the other remaining 27 EU member states. So now the next challenge uh, for the Prime Minister is to get this deal through Parliament. And um, it's not looking good, is it, Toby? No.
1: No, it's not. So as you said, step one, get it through um, Brussels. Through the negotiators, yeah. Through negotiators and... Apparently was negotiated in about thirty-eight minutes flat. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> I mean, negotiating something like Brexit, a final deal.
0: Oh, you mean like the final meeting? Yep, the final meeting apparently took thirty-eight minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was probably just formalities, but anyway. Still. <laughs> so
1: as that's through, it's come back home, um, and I'm not sure when.
0: The parliament's going to vote on it. Is it this uh, week? It's no. It's not going to be. Well, it's not going to be this week. I mean, well, considering we're recording it on Sunday. Uh, but um, yeah, no, it's uh, it should be sometime early December. So, could happen. Oh, twelfth December is the expected date. Oh, so is it? Go. So it would be the week after the Monday you're listening to this, probably.
1: Yes. Yep. And as you said, the challenge is getting it through Parliament. Uh. The Guardian have a very interesting game called Can You Get May's Brexit Deal Through Parliament? And it basically shows you the different groups that will probably vote in a certain way or another. Yeah,
0: like, so, think of the different factions within Parliament.
1: Yeah, so Brexit Ultras, Wavering Brexiteers, the Delivery Group, um, and then all the way down to uh, the single green seat.
0: And... Uh, yeah. I mean it's it's very it's very uh, it's very interesting looking at this. Um especially like because I mean they do do a very good job the guardian of essentially dividing all the uh, different factions. Um and it's I mean just looking at this it's very difficult to see how Theresa May can get uh her deal through at least on the first vote. And we'll talk about the potential second vote in a minute. Um mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean like if you, if you, if at least going by this, you know, they've got 150 Tory MPs who are basically just, you know, Tory loyalists who will vote for basically whatever the government puts up. You know, they could, you know, they, they could probably put a deal that says, you know, we'll surrender Sussex to France and they'll still vote for it. You know, it's it's kind of like the, the payroll vote. In, well, including the payroll vote, which, you know, is basically people whose careers depend on voting with the government, so ministers and, you know. Yeah, but so to get her deal through she would basically have to either convince over the next few weeks the kind of hardcore brexiteers to vote uh with her or to get a very very significant amount of labor rebels um and by very significant we mean like like up at least 50 of them and i don't think anyone really expects that to happen now the um So I think unless something very interesting occurs, I think it's very likely that she won't get her deal through Parliament on the first try. Now, what some people are saying now is if the deal is voted down on the 12th, if it happens on the 12th, um, there will, in the immediate aftermath, likely be a big run on the pound because, you know, markets will assume that this is us heading for no deal. Um, And the government will essentially try to use kind of the economic panic... To essentially coerce enough of its MPs and enough MPs on the opposition benches to essentially voting for the deal on a second kind of on a second attempt. Um, in the meantime, several other things will likely happen. Labour might very well try to table a motion of no confidence to try to force a general election. Um, that will almost certainly fail unless the DUP uh, votes against the government. I mean, it still most likely will abstain on it so um but yeah uh it's it's still up in the air as to what's happened i think it's overwhelmingly likely that the deal will be defeated uh for the first time but what happens after that is kind of very much up to uh really anyone's guess at this point i think yeah
1: i mean i don't know how much they'd revise the the deal oh they how wouldn't how i don't think space? they revise it at
0: all i mean they, they might revise like the political declaration but like I, I think the actual hardcore details in it well they're not going to be revised because well like this you know it's you know this is coming from someone who was you know completely against this whole process and still is uh but the deal may has got like it's pretty much it was the best deal she was going to get with the specific red lines which she set for herself. So, like, like I don't think there is any room for maneuver. I, I literally think that if it's voted down for the first time, which is likely, there, as I said, will be market panic, and then the government will try to use that to coerce MPs on both sides of the House to vote for it a second so time. To- the
1: second vote will just simply be, uh, well, how about you vote again just because we want you to vote for it? Well, it'll Otherwise, be... Otherwise, we'd get no deal.
0: Well, yeah, that and, like, well, look, you know, there's a fucking run on the pound. Like, markets are panicking. Uh, you know, this is, like, really in the national interest, guys. You should probably back it now. You know, like, we're not joking around anymore, essentially. Um, yeah, it's... I mean, there is even some speculation that the Labour leadership might uh, get its MPs to abstain on a on that second parliamentary vote. I I, I still don't think that's likely, but the um, the idea being that Jeremy Corbyn just wants to get wants to get Brexit over with. You know, he doesn't want to have to deal with it. You know, uh, he as by the time he hopes Labour will get into power. Yeah,
1: I I really don't see any of the other. Um, groups in Parliament making a big change, as you said, uh, DUP will probably
0: abstain at most. And oh no, I think they, they'll vote again. I think they'll vote against both. They'll vote against, uh, they'll times, vote against... But, but there's only ten of them at the end of the day. Like like they're not one of the most important groups. The DUP is very important if it comes to a potential no confidence vote in the government. But with regards to the actual Brexit vote, considering it's not even that close right now, I don't think they're actually they're actually no. that significant. So, it just,
1: the, yeah, as you said, first vote does not look uh, positive. It, it does not look like it's going to go through.
0: No, and, you know, not that it should, uh, because it's awful and embarrassing and a t- total, you know, uh, disaster. But, you know, it's, as I said, it's, you know, it, it's funny because, you know, with it, it's very tempting for people on the left right now. You know, especially in the Labour Party, to try to make it seem that oh, you know, May just did know what she was doing, uh, and p- purely because of that, the negotiations were a disaster, and we got this really bad deal. But if only we had people who actually knew how how they how to negotiate, they could have negotiated something far better. Well, you know, sorry guys, like her red lines are basically your red lines, especially when it comes to freedom of movement, um, which both uh. Both major parties want, still want to, uh, to see an end to, um, and yeah, like it, it's, it's very difficult to see how we could have gotten a, d- a different deal with, you know, with these same red lines, especially because at the end of the day, it's going to be the same civil servants doing the actual negotiations.
1: Hmm. And thinking more, uh, well, um,
0: stupidly what do you think about second referendum or a people's vote as they're calling it very condescendingly in my opinion, actually, like it kind of implies that the first vote wasn't like actually a people's vote. It was just like, I don't know. Um, yeah, Sheets no, vote. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I mean, that, that's what, that, that's what they would say. Um, yeah, second referendum. I'm sorry. It's not happening. I, I, I just, I just don't see. Um, so like, okay, let's, let's say May's deal is voted down for the, for, on the first try. Um, then I assume the kind of people's vote, the MPs were in favor of a people's vote, which, I don't know, I think is probably on both sides of the House about 150 MPs, like like the ones that have actually signed up to it, I think. Uh, maybe a bit more, but at the end of the day, they're, they're going to try um, to pass a parliamentary motion calling for a people's vote. Hmm. Um, but I don't think... Uh, unless, it won't pass un- until, unless the Labour leadership, uh, actively backs it, which they won't. So, yeah, I, I, I don't see it happening. I, I, I generally don't. And, the, and, you know, just passing a parliamentary vote and calling for a people's vote doesn't actually get you one, um, you know, it, like, it's going to be a long process of trying to, you know, set the logistics for the referendum, set the questions, set the options. We still don't even know exactly what we're voting on. You know, we know it's May's deal, but, you know, what are the alternatives? Is it no deal? Is it Labor's deal? Which is what Labour would want to vote for, even though they haven't got a deal. Um, it's, yeah, it I, I, it's not going to happen. I, I I would I would put the chances of a people's vote, if that's what you want to call it, at, like, 5% at best at this point.
1: Yeah,
0: I'm in the same boat
1: At uh, this point, a second referendum slash people's vote, or whatever else they want to call it does seem very unlikely However, earlier you did mention the possibility of a new general election happening if Labour tables a vote of no confidence Now, I see that being quite um, quite possible
0: yeah, well, it's it's what Labour wants. Uh, I mean, like their entire Brexit policy is like, "Hey, guys, let's just vote down May's deal and have a general election." Um, whether it's possible, well, like again, it all depends on that vote of no confidence. If um, if the deal is voted down, which as we keep saying, it probably will be, uh, Labour will probably probably try to file a no- uh, file a no confidence motion. Which, but even then, like it's not even certain that they would try because. Okay, let's say hypothetically, May loses the vote, Labour tables no confidence, Labour wins the no confidence vote uh, because the DUP comes out and votes against the government as opposed to abstaining. Um, in that event, okay, you have another general election. Um, let's say hypothetically that Labour either gets a very small majority, which is very, which is Probably unlikely, or more likely, uh, they're the largest party, but have to rely on support from other parties. Now, like, what, what's, what, the problem is, you still have to deal with Brexit when that happens. Um, if, if you, if you're managed to form a majority government, no matter how small that majority is, then you have to... You're basically back to doing the exact same negotiations and you're probably not going to get a deal that different or any different from May's deal um, unless you decide to completely change your red lines and stay in the single market or, you know, essentially go for the the Norway option. Um, If Labour has to rely on support from smaller parties, so that being the Lib Dems and the SNP, then the chances for a people's vote grow exponentially, uh, because they will probably make that kind of vote, or at least remaining in the single market, um, a condition for supporting a Labour government. But, I mean, that that's all just speculation.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just a spanner in the works. What government really wants, well, what Parliament would need, is a unified government to work through the current deal. But, as as we were saying, the fact that so many sides are are polarized, because it's not just two sides, you've got all the different little groups that actually add up to a very significant part of the vote within parliament that need to work together to get this. So general election, I see it likely, I just don't see it being
0: beneficial. Sure, I mean, you can change the parliamentary arithmetic as in, you know, how many MPs are there on each side and, and what they support. You can't change the realities of leaving the European Union. So, you know, if, uh, you know, just just as if, if May won a huge majority last year like she wanted to, she would still get the exact same deal that she got now. Or, hmm. or, or you know, if she, if she kept the same red lines, you know, if she had a huge majority, maybe she would have been emboldened to go for a softer Brexit. But then given that her biggest red line anyway was immigration, I don't see that happening, and, and, like, like, here's the other, like, here's kind of the thing, right, um, you know, as I said, this deal, it's a giant embarrassment, I I don't use the word capitulation, because I don't want to echo, like, the Brexiteers, but it's, like, what do we actually get from it? I don't understand, I don't understand how, why anyone would, would think that this is a good thing to do, unless, unless, uh, you're, overarching concern and the only freaking thing that you care about the thing you think is the most important thing is ending free movement of people from the continent in which case like this is the one thing which um oh and you know like ending the rights of british nationals to work in the european union without having to worry about visas and stuff but yeah like if if that's your overarching concern um then this is the only thing that this deal delivers it ends freedom of movement what be uh, congratulations you we've done it we've ended we've <laughs> we've ended freedom of movement great like at what cost well it doesn't matter we, we did it and and by the way and if you want to know that like if you want any more confirmation that this is like the biggest freaking reason for this entire mess in the first place uh is just come out uh what the some details about uh the visas uh the standard visas which the british government will be giving to eu nationals um post-brexit and do you know how long uh, the duration of the stay will be? Mm, eleven months. Two weeks. 11, 11 months. months. Eleven months. Eleven months. Do you know why it's eleven months? Mm, no idea. I mean, it's a strange number, right? Strange odd number. Eleven months for a visa? Why eleven months? Wouldn't it be like six months, twelve months? I mean, like... yeah, well, I, I would I well, guess it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Six. here is the reason why it's eleven months. Because if it's tw- if it's twelve months then it counts in the government's net migration figures. This is literally the only reason! This is the only reason we'd be doing this!
1: (laughs) So... They want to limit migration by...
0: Well, they're not going to limit migration. It's just going to limit... It's basically cooking the books on uh, migration figures. So if it's under 12 months, it doesn't show up in the net migration figures. That is absurd. Yeah, and it just shows you, like, exactly where this government's priorities lie. Because this deal only makes sense, only makes sense if you care about immigration. Or, or care about immigration mm. to the extent that you want to severely limit freedom of movement of people. But it's-
1: let's talk about, for example, um, just before you go on, about how important short-stay immigration can be. So within my realm of life, it's exchange students exchange students actually arguably contribute a lot to the economy they by coming to the country any anything they buy count has vat so therefore that's a little contribution in the form of tax but a lot of students will work even if they're out on a year abroad they'll work in a, in a bar for example in a pub or some shops Will take exchange students just for short, short-term time, but immigration in any form is having a positive impact. So the fact that they're course, limiting it like this of is course. so dumb.
0: Yes, yes, like yes. Why can't anyone like? Why can't anyone in charge just go out and say it? Well, yeah, because they have to appeal to people who, you know, are adamant that immigration is a problem. Like if yes, like literally any economic assessment, impact study, any. Any, you know, experts that have looked to this, like, it, they always come back with the exact same conclusion, which is that immigration, particularly from the European Union, overwhelmingly benefits Britain economically. Like, there, there's just no debate about it. it. Like, it... And and by the way, that, that makes this whole process even more depressing, because we're literally doing this uh, because... You know, I don't want to say the R word, right? Like, that'd be unfair. But um, we're doing this because some people are anxious about changing demographics let's put it this way right like that's literally the only reason for this entire fucking mess Hmm. And and it doesn't even make sense it doesn't it doesn't
1: and adding on to worries about immigration one of the worries i have um about limiting immigration is and particularly about brexit in general is, for example uh academia and scientific developments Britain's contributions to the history of science are undeniable. I mean, don't, don't need to go further than, say, physics being based on a British scientist's ideas. And, of course, the European Union, one of the main things they enabled was a lot of cooperation between scientists and high-up academics. And, ultimately, this benefits us all. But what will happen now? The fact that their movement is limited and that the access to European scientific institutes, so, for example, CERN, what will happen then? That's what I'm worried about.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it, things. it's, it's going to be harder, just like it's going to be harder for most people uh who uh you know business occupation relies on uh traveling to and from europe and having access to you know european institutions yeah, yeah that's that's just going to be the case i mean like i don't think it's going to completely halt research you know well uh people will be able to get the appropriate documents when they need it but yeah it's like it's going to be harder um and i mean especially like when you want to you know when you're talking about the uh impact of immigration post brexit you know like it and you know it, it's worth reiterating this because you know we Even though apparently the only immigration is like one of the only freaking things we talk about, you know, we still keep forgetting, you know, things like that the NHS will basically not survive without Polish (laughs) nurses, right? (laughs) We won't, um, you know, huge sections of our economy just will be able to function uh, without our current levels of immigration. But, you know, but that's, but that's just, that's just, you know, what the experts say. And we shouldn't listen to them because, yeah, I don't know. That's that's another thing. Uh, I mean that that that's like that that whole attitude. Like it's not even limited to the Tory Party. I mean, bo- both both you know main parties are totally up their, you know, uh, are totally stuck in their own cloud of wishful thinking. And yeah, it's it's going to end in disaster. I just don't see. Any like the, from the, this? the 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 age of experts is over like you, you think like it would be a brexiteer who said this no it was it was Richard Berg who's in Labour's shadow cabinet the age of experts is over today on the BBC congratulations um yeah and like and, and you know as someone who is a you know a, a voter a member of uh, of the labor party like it, its current position is currently just depressing as heck I mean because their current position is that if we are only if only us are allowed to negotiate uh, a deal, our deal will just be better. It'll it'll be great because like if we ask really nicely, then the European Union will just fold and uh, give us everything we want. Like do, do, it's funny. have you, you you've heard of the uh, Labour's six tests for the Brexit negotiations, right? Uh no, I haven't. Um, I should know this, <laughs> right? So like this this is uh something Labour published back in September, and this is essentially well what it, what it really is is a way is justification for labor to vote down whatever deal Theresa May proposes but but uh, i mean that's but uh, what they say it is is their six tests for a brexit deal the stuff like their red lines essentially right and mm-hmm. and, and uh, do, do you want to hear this uh, pile of self-contradictory and absurd gibberish okay P- po- point 1 does it ensure a strong and collaborative future relationship with the eu what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. Strong and collaborative? How do you define strong and collaborative? I don't know. I guess it's how Labour defines it. Point two. Does it deliver, quote-unquote, exact same benefits as we currently have as members of the Single market and Customs Union? That's literally impossible, unless you remain in the Single market and Customs Union, which they don't want to do. Like, this is literally what May wanted, and then had to realise that you can't have the benefits of the club if you leave the club. Um... <laughs> Uh, but, but apparently, but apparently, if but when Labour says that, that's okay, because they'll just ask really nicely, and then it'll, they'll give it to them. Um, yeah, um, point three, does it ensure the fair management of migration in the interests of the economy and communities? Yeah, that, that, that's, again, here we go again, freedom of movement, we got to end freedom of movement. Uh, this is what it's all about. Um, point four, does it defend rights and protections and prevent a race to the bottom? I mean, the, the final thing is just, you know, political Labour speak, but, um... Uh, yeah, does it defend rights and protections? Well, I mean, that's not even anything to do with the actual divorce bill. <laughs> like, that, like it all depends on what kind of government you have uh, in the aftermath of Brexit to, you know, legislate on rights and protections. Um, like, the EU couldn't really care less what your workers' rights protections are after... After Brexit, uh, yeah, and then five, does it deliver national uh, national security and our capacity to tackle cross-border crime? Okay, fair enough. That's like maintaining stuff like the European arrest warrant, whatever. And number six, does it deliver for all? Does it deliver for all regions and nations in the UK? What does that mean? I don't know. Nobody knows. Does it deliver? What does deliver mean? Oh. Um, Yeah, so the point is that, like, whoever is in charge will have to deal with the exact same issues. You can change the parliamentary arithmetic, uh, but you can't change the realities of Brexit unless you change your red lines, or, if you're smart, just abandon the whole thing anyway, because the only reason we're doing it is because of immigration, and unless your single red line is ending freedom of movement, there's literally no reason for any of this. Full stop. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's I mean we have to st- step
1: back and just look at it as they're currently what we're dealing with with um right now is the government trying to throw something together uh against the will of the government. Because mo we, we it, it'd be safe to say that most of parliament doesn't want Brexit they
0: Uh, um well it depends um doesn't want this type of brexit oh well clearly yeah
1: so the fact that they're having to work with this type of brexit is impossible it's an impossible feat so it's just really hard to see this going anywhere positive
0: yeah i mean i mean you talk about parliament Uh, i mean uh the thing that we might be missing here is uh, I don't think the country uh, also doesn't want this kind of Brexit, you know, like, you know, I I don't want to, you know, come back to the uh, the whole thing about how, you know, we should never have had a referendum on this in the first place. Um, but I mean, doesn't it just seem absolutely insane that, okay, let's say May's deal is voted through, right, for the sake of argument, mm-hmm. then we will have a situation in which The country embarks upon a radical change in its you know position in the world um, that the prime minister didn't want to happen the prime minister who implemented it didn't want it to happen the chancellor who was in charge of the economy when it happened never wanted it to happen the opposition who campaigned against it didn't want it to happen in a parliament which overall uh most of whose mps did not want brexit to happen and in a country which by the time we leave, chances are, according to most most polling, the majority of the population now doesn't want Brexit to happen. And we're still doing it? Why? Like, like this is honestly, you know, the single greatest um, act of, you know, just pure stupidity and idiocy. P- pure stupidity and just national level self-harm, you know, since, since I don't know, since when? Like, When is the last point in British history when just the country collectively decided to shit itself this badly? I I don't know. Like, some people say Suez, but, like, Suez? Like, what's so bad about... You know, okay, like, we were very embarrassed in in our failed colonialism. But, like, that's nowhere near as bad as what we're currently dealing with here. Like, this is, like, the greatest disaster in British, like... I mean, you could say it's the greatest disaster in uh, negotiations since, like, freaking Munich. But... But but the whole point here is that like again with the same red lines you couldn't really get a better deal. I mean it's interesting. Um, one interesting take I heard on this um, on the Brexit negotiations recently uh, was from uh, Yanis Ver- Yanis Varoufakis, who uh, if if you're listening you've never heard of him. He was the finance minister. He's, well, he's an economist uh, primarily, but he was the finance minister of Greece in, yes, t- in yes. twenty in twenty fifteen, and. And uh, this guy, you know, he actually has experience uh, in negotiating with the European Union when he was trying to renegotiate uh, Greek debt. And um, I mean, his conclusion on you know these negotiations is quite startling, which is that, well, the thing about negotiating with the European Union is that you don't negotiate with the European Union. This is not a negotiation. You might, you know, because what who are you are the person you are negotiating with does not have a mandate to negotiate. He has a checklist. He is a bureaucrat. You might as well be negotiating with a computer algorithm. Because, you know, this guy, he does not have the authority. You know, Michel Barnier in this case. You know, he is not an elective head of state. He's not Angela Merkel. He's not, a, you know, Emmanuel Macron. Um, like, the, the, he does not have uh, the authority to give out concessions. So he is sitting there in this room. He's got this checklist. Then he's like, okay, we got this, we got this, we got this. All right. what's next? So this is not a negotiation. You can't negotiate with the European Union, really. And, like, well, and so yeah, like, May's deal is the best we're gonna get, in this case. And it's still fucking abysmal. <laughs> so, do you take that? Um, do you take no deal? Is that the alternative? I mean, that's what the government wants you to think is the alternative. Um, or what else? I mean... I mean, if we're up to me, I'd just cancel the whole thing, but clearly that's not gonna happen, because, you know, will of the people, even though most of the people now don't want it, but, you know, whatever. Uh,
1: But let's consider that, actually. What if they say, you know what, we just cancelled this now. I think the backlash wouldn't be that severe, because cancelling Brexit is essentially... I mean, no, okay, it's not a second referendum, but now, but it's not a so referendum. But it does seem to be the general feeling in the media and social media and in public. So, of course, it's not a democratic decision. But I think it would be in line with, as our boy J.S. Mill would say, the will of the people.
0: Well, the thing about the will of the people is that it doesn't really like it doesn't exist. Like it's not a thing. It's not a thing that is real. Um
1: we we, we all know we all know um political theorists yeah. like uh, <laughs> spoke about very real <laughs>
0: Yeah, well like so sorry to like I don't want to get into a political theory here, but like there is no such thing as the will of the people, especially when you're talking about something as complex and multifaceted as, as this. That's um, exactly. Yeah. Um like yeah, I I, I I and like this is the thing about this current situation, which is just so thoroughly depressing. Like, you know, we may not like May's deal. We may realize that it's a total disaster, but can we really think of an alternative? Like, I guess, you know, we have, like, there is an alternative in the case of, you know, the a second referendum. I still kind of refuse to call it a people's vote. Because um, that's just, I mean, honestly, it's just so condescending. It is, um yeah. yeah. Um Like, so we have an alternative in the case of a second referendum, which, like, fair enough, if that, you know, um, but it's not going to happen. Um, it's like... If, if if it can, great. Um, you know, at this point, sign me up. But uh, I just don't think it's feasible. Uh, you know, and w- what else is there? Is it Maze deal or no deal? Uh, general election followed by followed by what? You know, we, we still have to deal with all the same realities. Um, you, know, un- we, um, you know, unless we, you know, unless another government comes in which decides it wants to go for kind of a soft Brexit option, such as kind of you know the Norway deal. You know, after after membership. Um, And the question there is, okay, you separated yourself from the European Union politically. You still have to abide by all the same regulations. Uh, You still have to deal with freedom of movement, whether you think it's a bad thing or not. The only difference now is that you don't get a say in what any of these regulations are. So what's the benefit? Who knows? Like, literally, like, whatever whatever way you think about it, the best possible Brexit deal is the one we have right now. which is membership of the european union with an opt-out out of the euro with an opt-out from further political integration but that's with, technically with, what with, we had already well that's my point this is what we have <laughs> this is the best brexit deal the best brexit deal we have right now and like, we're giving it away because some people are very anxious about immigration that's literally <laughs> what's happening you know. we the already gammon's. have you know it's we have all been...
1: down to the gammons
0: You know like you've had you've had yeah well no like i mean i'm only half joking but you know um um you know you've had this kind of idea of like you know brexit has been talking about how we we can actually have our cake and eat it um well i mean they're right to a certain extent which is that we've been having our cake and we've been eating it since margaret thatcher was in office which (laughs) is again we are full members of the european union we don't have to be in the euro we don't have to be in Schengen, by the way. We don't have to, um, we have a rebate uh, from the contributions which we give to the EU budget. We have an opt-out from further political integration. What more do you fucking want? So, Unless it's immigration. I don't, I don't understand. So you're saying uh, Thatcher did nothing wrong. Well, I'm saying, well, Thatcher re- renegotiated the rebate. So, you know, Thatcher got the rebate so in that sense Thatcher (laughs) Thatcher gave us you know Thatcher increased the share of the cake which we had and were eating so yeah (laughs) it's just dumb calling
1: Brexit off I feel I've gone from thinking a second referendum to calling Brexit off being the smartest option now of course then that will make people say well this is tyranny this is the government enacting without consulting the people,
0: yeah, guess what that elect a government that won't do that. This is why we have a parliamentary democracy,
1: <laughs> so who knows who knows? I just i can' I can make no predictions. I've always been bad at bets, but good Lord, would this be a bad time to make a bet
0: yeah if if I had to like bet on a brexit outcome right now, I don't even know where I put my money like. I, like, I've I basically got to a point where I'm just no longer making political predictions, like, at all. Um, I just kind of say what I think is likely, not likely. But, um, but, yeah, like, the two most likely options right now is May deals, May's deal gets through on a second attempt after, you know, there's an economic panic. Um, or a no deal. I think those are the two most likely outcomes. And, you know, like, people's vote being, like, a very, very distant, like, third
1: So let's save our let's save our Brexit steam for the next few weeks when we'll still be talking about Brexit until we die.
0: <laughs> no, like 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 again, like I'm only half joking when I say that. Like we will be debating the European Union and Britain's relationship with it until we're all. It's fucking like some dead. Monty
1: Python sketch right here. Yeah. <laughs> so let's move on to entertainment.
0: Is this not let's enough do entertainment for TV. you? Are you not entertained? (laughs) (laughs) Are you not entertained by this visceral image of our country going down the fucking toilet?
1: Confirmed that Brexit is Gladiator
0: 2. Yeah, (laughs) Gladiator 2. Fucking electric jugular, whatever. (laughs) But,
1: no, honestly, talking about entertainment. So, what what have you been consuming lately? Um, Let's talk about film and tv as we usually do
0: um so um just trying to think of recent films uh, i watched so I'll, okay I'll, there's the two most recent films i've watched uh, recently in the cinema obviously not like netflix doesn't count um i'll i'll i'll, I'll do the i'll do the good one first and then I'll, I'll do the bad one um so uh overlord uh is it john abrams Jason Uh, Abrams? J.J. Abrams. J.J. Abrams, yeah. Yeah, executive Um, produced it, which basically means he paid to have lens flares put in. Right, so his his recent new film, uh, Overlord, I thought was very good. So if you haven't heard of it, uh, it's still in cinemas now, you should go see it. Um, Essentially, it's uh, a take on D-Day. So, you know, Overlord, Operation Overlord, you know, get it? Um, So um, this uh, squad of U.S. uh, paratroopers, uh, you know, drops into occupied france uh and they have to destroy this like communications post um little do they know this communication post is inside this giant bunker where they're doing secret experiments and guess what nazi zombies um it's it's a very stupid film it's also very entertaining and pretty like surprisingly bloody um no it's just generally all around good fun I, like i i can't really it's not something i can really kind of pick holes in because it doesn't really take itself very seriously um but yeah you, sh- you should go see that um the uh the more recent one which i thought was really bad well not really bad it was, it was pretty bad uh was fantastic beasts uh the crimes of grindelwald uh the new harry potter thingy um
1: yeah i so for so before we talk about this um the sequel Let's just talk about what we liked about the original. So I haven't seen the sequel, but when I went to see the original, I had no interest, but my friends wanted to go, so I went. And I was, It, it was okay. So I'd recently seen Doctor Strange, and I thought Doctor Strange was okay. It was just a Marvel film. And I felt that Fantastic Beasts hit all the beats that Doctor Strange didn't. It felt sure magical to Fall in line with the theme, but it did feel quite magical. Yeah. However, this I didn't really feel the need to see any more of that world. I was kind of like, okay, you just threw more Harry Potter stuff at the yeah.
0: screen. Yeah, well, I mean, for what it was worth, I thought the the original well, the first Fantastic Beasts, which by the way, like the, the whole naming thing, like really irks me. Like, shouldn't like the first one was Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and then the second one is Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald, even though it. Like it doesn't really have many fantastic beasts in it. Like okay, there's some, but like it's not the point of the movie. Um, like they should have just called it Fantastic Beasts and then The Crimes of Grindelwald. Anyway, anyway, uh, <laughs> that aside. Now, like for what it's worth, I, I, I thought the, the first one did a pretty good job, or as good of a job as you really could, of like rebooting Harry Potter in a different kind of uh, in like a prequel setting. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought it was pretty good. I like I like you know I don't wasn't like amazing, um, but it was it was just good fun. Um, you know. Uh, interesting enough uh, within kind of the, the Harry Potter world, the plot was more or less, you know, okay to follow. Uh, the main character, by the way, like, and, you know, that's obviously still um, still the case with the with the new one. I, I actually like... Um, Eddie Redmayne? Yeah, I, I, I think he's better than Daniel Radcliffe in every way. Uh, I think he's just generally a very good actor, and the character he plays is just really entertaining. I, you know as opposed to potter which you know usually was just kind of you know he had his he had his uh highlights but it was just kind of this really depressed teenager which you know for good reason but still um no but he's 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 like the highlight of of this new reboot i think well i um, mean eddie redmayne has had some fantastic roles
1: uh throughout his career yeah. um one of his most notable recent ones were uh what was his portrayal of uh stephen hawking in um theory of everything yeah that was that was a brilliant 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 uh
0: performance yeah but no. Uh, so yeah um as i said he's he's definitely a highlight of of the new uh films uh but you know coming back on why i didn't like this one and why you know i've like i've i've watched and read some reviews of it after i've seen it and like Basically, everyone seems to come to the same conclusions, uh, which is the plot was super convoluted. There was a trillion things going on at the same time, like several um, you know plot lines with multiple characters. There was not like a single... I mean, there was like a single central thing, but it wasn't as concise and it wasn't as easy to follow because of all these things going on around it. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just pointless side characters, which had no reason to be there except that they had some kind of... Um, relation to Harry Potter lore. So uh do you remember the snake from Voldemort's snake, Nagini or Nagani? In Nagini, right? yeah, yeah, which um,
1: um has brought questions about racial representation in film.
0: Oh really? For... I didn't even think of that. Uh but anyway, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> that's a so, whole different topic. Yeah, okay, let's let's not get into that right now. Um <laughs> but um please God no. Um so um yeah so the snake it's 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 in the it's in the new Fantastic Beasts film. Uh and it turns out turns out the snake is not actually a snake it's it's like a woman who transforms into a snake which makes a lot of it really disturbing when she like eats people and stuff Uh, but um yeah but like there's there's no reason for that character to be there except for like oh cool look it's 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 the snake from Harry Potter I didn't even know it was the snake from Harry Potter I didn't even put two and two together until like I read about it afterwards and I was like oh okay I guess like I guess if you're like a diehard Potter fan you might look at that and be like oh yeah, alright that, that's interesting but um yeah, but even if you're a die-hard Potter fan, I don't see how you're generally gonna get over the fact that most of this film is just so boring. <laughs> like, it's so hard to follow. Uh, it's so hard to relate to. You don't know what the frick is going on. Like, I, 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 I'm not exaggerating when I say that I wanted to fall asleep. I was falling asleep in the theater, which I've like I've never had that experience with any of the Harry Potter movies. So yeah. But what have, what have you seen recently, Toby?
1: So, my rose, I haven't been to cinema uh, until, since my reading week a month ago because I've been very busy with essays. But what I did see back then was Halloween. And oh, yeah. to sum up my review, um, so I, I reviewed it for my new student newspaper, The Mancunian, and I thought it was fantastic. It was basically a perfect modern horror film. But were there sure. any
0: fantastic beasts in there?
1: I mean, arguably, Michael Myers is not human, but no. <laughs>
0: Michael Myers is a fantastic piece. Um. <laughs> but
1: it it was a very solid film, well-paced, all the characters were likable. Um, the, Michael Myers returning, he's always been a very compelling villain of the slasher genre, which... To be honest, I don't really like slashers. I, I do like Halloween, but I don't like any others. That was quite good. And the subversion of um The Last Girl being turned into The Last Hero, I thought was very, very clever. Um, for those of you who don't know, horror films, particularly slashers, play on the trope of The Last Girl. So, most characters are killed off by the killer, and the last person standing is usually a girl, a teenage girl. She's usually shown as frail, um, scared, and has to overcome her fear to emerge victorious. And sure, it does show that a female character can be strong and fight back, but it was about as far as they pushed it for its time. If you look at the new Halloween, all the female characters play a very, very strong role that is interconnected because they are grandmother, mother, and granddaughter. And not to spoil it, but if from what is shown in the trailer, for example, Jamie Lee Curtis reprises her role as Laurie Strode and comes back as just this absolute badass yes she's paranoid, yes she's arguably insane but the acting's not only brilliant but her character is a strong character that stands by its own two feet and um, is by far more effective than any of the male characters in the film which is very interesting for um, a slasher film to do yeah so, overall, Halloween, very, very strong horror film. Not quite as good as the original, but I think perfect sequel.
0: Yeah, as someone who uh, hasn't seen any of the other Halloween movies, uh, I just, yeah, I generally thought it was a very good horror film. And this is Oh, if you've not seen isn't... the original? No, I haven't. My girlfriend keeps wanting to show them to me, which I'm sure Ooh. she will eventually. So, but, um...
1: I've only seen Halloween 1, and... It's fantastic. It's brilliant. The soundtrack is stand out. And thinking about soundtrack, the new soundtrack, there is a podcast called Song Exploder. And they did an episode on the new Halloween theme. And I highly, highly recommend it because they go in depth onto how the song was built layer by layer. And it really, really, it's just worth a listen. It's only 20 minutes. Um, But the original is a fantastic film, and the new film has a lot of visual nods to the original. So instead of being in your face going, Hey, remember the original? Uh, This is not the original, but we want it to be. It doesn't do that. It pushes these small visual cues. So basically, they use the same framing as the original film for some scenes. And it's so subtle that of course you wouldn't know peter you ju- just would have gone that's a good shot yeah. but i was like that is a brilliant shot and they've done it again and
0: i i'm not even mad i love it so you need to watch the original i i definitely will when i get around to it uh but maybe it'll be for halloween next year who knows um, <laughs> um yeah uh but no i you know, as someone who didn't see the original, isn't really a big fan of horror films. Uh, you know, I, it's not that I don't like them; it's just that I don't go out of my way to watch them. Uh, but I, I generally thought it was very good, very entertaining. I I, 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 do, I do find it interesting what you mentioned about how it kind of breaks the stereotype with male characters. Because, hmm. like, now that you mention it, it's it's very funny thinking about. Hello, everyone. Uh, Peter from the future here. Um, in uh, the next minute or so, we will be spoiling major plot points in the recent reboot of Halloween. So if you don't want to know that, uh, you might just want to, like, end the episode now or skip ahead by a few minutes. Thanks. I mean, what were the uh, the male characters in Halloween? There was uh, the boyfriend who turned out to be... A cheating a- dickhead. a, ch- cheating- a coward. A-, a coward and a cheating dickhead. And then he just disappears from the film entirely. He doesn't even die. Uh... Or at least not on screen, he just disappears in the film. Then you have the friend who turns out to be basically our slash nice guys. <laughs> um
1: secretly an incel.
0: Yeah. Uh who uh, who um embarrasses himself with the main character and then and then dies, uh is killed. Uh then you have who else do you have? So you you got you got the uh the policeman who de- who gets murdered by the doctor who gets murdered by Michael Myers. <laughs> um spoilers yeah oh and you have oh yeah sorry spoiler warning oh yeah anyway uh you don't care you, you would have seen it by now anyway um um yeah and then you have the the only other thing is you have um the father the father of the family he's oh, yeah,
1: unreasonable yeah. he uh he he tries i mean to be fair he is trying to be a good guy he is trying to calm his wife and say you know what your mother is very difficult and you you, you don't need to be dragged into her world and you're Traumatic past doesn't have to return, but her traumatic past was training for the return of Michael. So, yeah. although she didn't want to face her past, it plays a key role
0: in the in the film. Yeah. Oh, and you also have the uh, the boyfriend of the friend who uh, who uh, tr- to in, to in credit to him. Uh, he tries to fight Michael Myers, but then gets horribly murdered off screen. So, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And in a lighter tone, I'd just like to mention
1: one more show. Uh, So this is a show I'm watching on Netflix that came out last week, but the release was very quiet. Um, It's actually quite hard to find on your Netflix homepage if you scroll through and uh, just pick thumbnails. And it's a new documentary series called Dogs. It's not just about dogs, but it's more about the relationship between certain people and their dogs.
0: I've only seen. Is it a Netflix original or? It It
1: is a Netflix original, and I've seen an episode and a half so far. And honestly, episode one. Some films, you know, make me cry, but it takes quite a bit. I'm usually quite stoic when it comes to watching films, but this show, episode one, had me crying. It's a so for the first episode they show you um, a girl. I can't remember her name right now, who is an epileptic and her fits are severe, her medication makes her life difficult, her family, they're very patient, they're very, very patient family. They do help her as much as they can, but they're afraid that she can't live an independent life. And they find that the solution to it might well lie within dogs train dogs that can sniff uh, when the signs of a seizure are coming on because right. it's proven that uh, the human body releases a certain pheromone which dogs can detect mm. and uh, also if a seizure is happening it recognizes a seizure instantly by the visual cues I just dropped something, sorry it, ins- okay. it, it instantly recognizes seizure by its visual cues and barks and goes to find someone for help And it's just the story of them going to pick up the dog. And it's just so moving to see how this person's life will never be the same for the better. Because not only does she have a new best friend, she has someone who will save her life. Well, something. And episode two, which I'm halfway through, is surprisingly political. It's um, a Syrian refugee in Berlin who Mm. escaped, escaped Syria to avoid military service, and he left behind his family, his best friend, and under his best friend's supervision is Zeus, his husky. And it's really, it's kind of jarring at first, you just see these videos sent over WhatsApp to him from his friend of the dog happily walking through this house which is Basically half dilapidated, and you can just hear gunshots and bombs dropping outside. So mm. I've not finished the episode, but his mission is to get Zeus out of Syria into Berlin.
0: Oh, it's to get his doggy back. It is, yeah. You, I want to wanna watch it now, but I know it'll be like fucking heartbreaking. So. It, it
1: is pretty heartbreaking. You you do cry a lot throughout it. Even I was like, nah it, it's good. I was just crying. So, dogs, a wonderful show and wonderful creatures. So, definitely, definitely recommended. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Officially Denied podcast. As you can see, we are a weekly show. <laughs> Allegedly. Th- Allegedly. Very fake news there. I mean, but, yeah. look, it's, it's a political podcast. You may as well do, like, government... It's, it's all relative we we don't need to we don't need to we don't need to promises out <laughs> no we don't make promises sorry sorry we don't need to fulfill our promises we don't yeah. need to fulfill our promises we uh, can make them we don't need to fulfill them yeah. <laughs> but yes we will be back soon with more discussion about hopefully not brexit hopefully not it's going to um, be brexit it's going to be <laughs> brexit <laughs> <laughs> so the officially brexit podcast thank you for listening and we'll see you next week